Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to their true career potential. Realizing that I know we're headed up on the final month of this year, and this month is all about wrapping up our year with the same mindset as where we came into it. I encourage people on the very first week to enter the year coming from a place of abundance. And that may be hard to leave this year with that mindset. There's been a volatile year in the workforce for some industries with layoffs, reorganizations, slow-paced career paths. Thing. And some people who put their eggs into a particular basket of advocacy, finding that many of those people actually left and with them exited people's advocacy for promotion or just really appreciation. And I think we've come to a point in our existence after the pandemic and over the last few years where our give a damn is a little bit busted. And when that give a damn is busted, <laughs> It is a lot harder to retain good talent who just simply doesn't feel like they're being treated with the equity they feel they deserve. So people are are lending a stronger voice to fulfillment in their career. And that's what this 52 weeks have been devoted to. We've heard from a lot of you that it would be nice to hear about some subtle and sustainable changes that can make a big difference in the workplace to help people feel more grounded, more accepted, and help mediate some of the challenges that today we're going to help you through with a very, very cool concept. Our guest, Steve M. Beauchamp, is a certified Ikigai. And don't worry if you don't know what the word Ikigai means, you will become an expert, at least on the word, by the end of today's program. He is a certified Ikigai tribe coach. He loves nature. He's an aspiring mountain guide. And he's a continuous improvement mentor. We'll talk more to what that means as well during our program today. What impresses me coming from a process background is he holds both a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, that's impressive, not only a green belt, and a degree in project management. He's also opened a private coaching practice where he teaches and coaches the concepts of building work-life harmony through Japanese wisdom. And so today he's going to bring that to us talking about his book, talking about the concepts and talking about why that harmony has helped his clients remove barriers to their success and truly transform in a way they didn't know was possible. Steve, welcome to 52 Weeks. I genuinely appreciate the opportunity. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since you know we reached out initially and it's definitely an honor to be here. So thank you for inviting me. One of the things that fascinates me about your background is that project management is very process oriented and Eastern philosophy, although there's a process attached to it, it's such a, and I'm going to use the word Zen mentality, which to me, it's very organic. It's very authentic. It's There's a flow towards it. Tell us a little bit about how your background led you to where you are today. <laughs> is a long and winding story. I think the entrance for me into the project management and continuous improvement world started probably about 15 or 16 years ago. I'm a very analytical person, which is what makes that profession really my wheelhouse. But I was finding just in life, I can't approach life that way, right? You can't approach work talking to 
people from extremely analytical background because your your relationships will struggle. And I know this from experience. And so you can't approach everything in that same manner. So I, I started looking for ways to express my, myself in a way that made sense, was looking for a way to find resonance also with that expression. And I've been a longtime student of Japanese culture and philosophy ever since I was a teenager. So it just kind of made sense for me to start digging into a little bit more about some of the wisdom and philosophy that, that exists there. And it has such a rich history that you could study it for years and just scratch the surface, which is kind of where I feel like I am. So I think that's that's kind of where it all came about for me. Very interesting, too, that I have a similar pathway in the sense that I work for a Japanese company, one of the mm-hmm. largest in the healthcare sector, and it was very interesting to me because I find that a lot of Western companies have this mentality, what works, you stick with it, you don't try to innovate as heavily, don't fix what isn't broken, we've always done it this way. They may talk about innovation and talk a good game about it, but in the Eastern culture, is very embraced innovation and Mm. letting companies organically grow and they're big into key concepts that are about flow, workplace Mm -hmm. flow, process flow. How does it work? How do you perfect it? And I was introduced at that company to the philosophy of Ikigai. Mm. It was actually a book that I read that introduced me to the concept. And it was such an interesting thing because here I was in the United States working for a Japanese company, but we had very Western cultural norms in the Mm -hmm. organization. It was refreshing to see that influence coming stateside. And it was just before the pandemic. Now I'm seeing a lot of companies are struggling to make certain changes that I think are in the nature of Ikigai. So introduce our listeners to Ikigai, what it means and how you became aware of it yourself. Yeah, so Ikigai, it's been misunderstood largely in the Western world due to the fact that there's, uh, you know, this Venn diagram that's been floating around the internet for the last several years. And I'm, I'm sure your listeners have, have seen it at some point or another. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not what Ikigai really means. Ikigai is actually made up of two different Japanese words. First word being ikiru, which means to live. And when we think about the idea of living in this context, it's more of the the day-to-day living, not like the grander idea around our life as a whole, but more of like the the day-to-day pieces of living. And then guy, which is translated as value or worth. So when you put the two words together, you end up with the idea of, you know, what makes life worth living, basically. And this, this can be something that's very unique to each person. So what my Ikigai is, is not going to be the same as yours or the, or the same as our spouses or anybody else for that matter, because it's a very personal experiential thing where I've really found this to be a really helpful concept to explain and to teach to people is when you're able to connect to your authenticity 
of who you are, you're going to bring your whole self into the work that you do. And that is what we need. We need to be able to bring our whole selves into our workplace and not feel like we have to hide behind a mask of something we're not. When I was originally introduced to this concept, I was working at Kraft Foods back in Illinois, where I used to live. And I was part of the training department and we had some colleagues from, from Japan that came over for several months for some training. And so I was working with them every day, speaking through a translator because the uh, individuals that I was training hadn't a, a really good understanding of English. And so they had a translator that they hired to work with us. And we were sitting having lunch one day. I believe it was uh, in March of that year. And so it was, you know, just about springtime. So, you know, winter was almost done. And we were talking about how, you know, all the flowers are going to start coming out and things are going to start feeling like spring. One of the individuals had mentioned, you know, they were talking about cherry blossoms and the sakura. And then one of them said, I can't remember the sentence that he said, but the word ikigai was in there. And I was like, well, what what did he say? You know, the translator was trying to explain it to me didn't do a very good job because ikigai is such a challenging concept to explain to people that don't understand the cultural context because it is very experiential because it's very personal to a person it is very hard to explain but that's kind of the the genesis of where i started to learn about this concept and then i've been studying this concept for the last several years it's interesting because the the more you learn about this in yourself the more there is to learn. So it's, there's no destination around it. It's a, it truly is a journey. And each step that you take shows you the next step that you're going to take, if that makes sense. You're right. You touch on the fact that it's very difficult to help people conceptualize the premise of Ikigai. Mm-hmm. I think companies have an even harder time of allowing it to happen freely, which you have to, if you're really going to practice the journey, because to your point, it's a journey. It's funny because if you look at some of the popular literature around the subject, they've done everything but analogize it to a Japanese village where there were a number of people that were a hundred plus years old. And what was the secret? And they said, Ikigai. But to them, it is a way of life. It is absolutely something that's it's a practice it's nothing you're ever going to perfect whereas organizations hey that's a metric we got to perfect that our you know what are our milestones what are our outcomes where are the metrics where's the analytics why do you think it's so difficult and i'm asking you as steve motion (laughs) what is your opinion as to why companies have such a difficult time enabling people or allowing people really to have that authenticity I can tell you what my experience has been, and I don't know that this is necessarily something that is true everywhere. That's fair. But my experience has been, it's mostly due to fear. Fear of allowing people to have honest conversation. Fear of allowing people to to bring their whole selves to work, no matter what that looks like. Because when people bring who they are, sometimes we're not comfortable with what that is. And rather than leaning into that discomfort, 
and trying to understand it better and really seeking more of that flow of energy between people, we try to, you know, shut it off and try to create solid boundaries around things so that we can avoid fear. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I think it kind of stems just from perhaps a lack of managerial courage to lean into conversation and to truly understand the person that's on your team or the person that's sitting across the table or sharing the screen with you as as we're now <laughs> kind of in that world now. But that's been my experience. I would concur. I would concur with you. I think it's fear of a lack of control. Yeah. Interesting yeah. is in the Western culture of business, it is about controlling as much as you can, even though you're really not controlling it. Having worked for a Japanese-run company in Eastern business is they, they're very suit and tie. They're very official. There's a lot of order, but they never confuse order with discipline. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that a little later on because you've written a book that absolutely captures that so well. But before we stray from this topic, how can someone integrate or an entity of a business integrate the Ikigai philosophy with their employees in a way that makes sense in our Western culture? Yeah, I think a few of the things that I've done with, so I, you know, I consider myself an internal consultant with the work that I do for the organization I'm currently with of King County Metro Transit. And one of the things that I've started doing over the last few years is really integrating the idea of bringing our core values that as an individual to the organization to understand what is it that we bring individually into this work so that you can better connect your, your outside of work person with your inside of work person, if you will, so that you can start building that congruency. And as you bring your values with you, you can then start seeing better connections to the work you're doing and find more meaning in the work that you're doing. And so I think that's a great place to start is to really encourage people. The thing with core values that I've learned is that a lot of people assume that they know what their core values are. I mean, I, I used to <laughs> until you actually go and, and take some type of an assessment to, to really help pull out of you what those core values really are. Because you'll find that there are some things that show up and you're like, oh yeah, I totally knew that about myself. There's other things that show up and you're like, I never thought about it that way before. And it adds such a, a beautiful mosaic, if you will, to our core values. When we, when we understand them better, we can show up better. That's one of the most important ways that I think you can start pulling this idea of Ikigai into the workplace because, you know, Ikigai is very core values driven, as, as I was mentioning earlier, it's very unique to each of us. And so a way, not necessarily the way, but a way is to allow people to, to do that in a kind of a not so structured way, I guess, you know, and I think we got to let go of that idea of having to have rigid structure around 
everything that we do, particularly with people and how we interact with each other. I don't see how you could even be successful long-term if you put those rigid restrictions on people. I don't. And I've seen that you can build competency models to help support people's growth within role or to get to different levels of an organization. So I'm not saying that all structure is bad and it should just be, you know, everybody running amok. I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges was getting HR teams and leaders to really understand a little bit goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, you have to continuously be improving. And there's actually another Japanese word called Kaizen, which is translated mm-hmm. loosely as continuous improvement. And you published a book mm-hmm. that I adore. I've been reading it. I have oh. to honestly recommend it highly. <laughs> Thank you. Fun. It is excellent. It's called Always Improving Lessons from the Samurai. I can't think of a greater entity than the samurai. If you've ever done any research on them, which I know you have, but to mm-hmm. our listeners, samurai were always trying to improve upon everything they did. And there's actually this code called the Bushido code, that which contains the eight virtues that samurai strove towards. Can you break those down for us and tie them to the fulfillment that they had and what they did and really the nature of your book? Yeah. You know, I don't know if we have time to go into each of them in depth <laughs> right now, but, you know, but they were, it's interesting when you, when you look at the Bushido code, it was, it was something that was written after the fact, basically of, of the era of the samurai. It was, it was kind of a synthesis, if you will, of the different precepts and principles that each of the clans had because all of the clans had their own unique precepts and and principles that everybody lived by and the Bushido code was really a kind of synthesis of all of those things and so so that's the first interesting thing that I learned and the eight virtues that were really widely accepted by everybody was the idea of justice courage Compassion, respect, honor, loyalty, self-control. There's this idea that these eight virtues make you more of a well-rounded individual. So this idea of allowing yourself to be guided by some principles that everybody agrees are the right thing to do. I essentially pulled out some of those principles from the Bushido code, looked at it from a continuous improvement lens, because as you already indicated, they did look at their lives as an opportunity to continually improve. And I think we look at those eight virtues. I've looked at them in a very different light than what most people have interpreted them. There's a lot there. What I love about them, though, is it's so synergistic with what every company is trying to, when they talk about their core values, it's mm-hmm. justice, let's go through them one more time, justice, courage, mercy, I think, compassion, yeah, politeness, or kindness, honesty and sincerity, honor, loyalty and self-control and it's Mm -hmm. that self-control piece if we want to double down into one of them that really kind of disputes any company that's like we've always done it this way we can't do it any other way there's no room for innovation we're fearful that if we let people run amok and do their Mm -hmm. own thing and bring themselves authentically to the table we'll lose control it's that self-control virtue that i think is the most important to all of us right now 
is having a sense of for two years, we were told you can't go outside. You have to mask. You have to do this. You have to do that. When I think back, if you look back to the samurai, they were so conditioned and disciplined. They would have been like, okay, I can still be myself and do all those things. I can still master the, the art of whatever my clan. And by the way, there were how many clans in the samurai culture? I honestly don't know the answer to that, but there were hundreds because they were all over the country in different like pockets. And, and as the times went on from one generation and one century to the next, some clans would rise and others would fall. And so I honestly don't know the answer to that. Because of the movies of the 60s and 70s where they talked about the samurai a lot. And Kira Kurosawa was a great filmmaker who made a lot of movies about the samurai, of which my family were big fans. And we get together and watch everything. And I remember my father saying what was so interesting about it was, you know, they're depicted as these warlords. And that it was like very militant. And he said, no, it was actually about moral standard. It, there was this sort of um, samurai mentality was like this elite of the society that yes, there was an aspect of protection, and, but it was more about discipline that drove the culture. Um, they had specific attitudes and behaviors and lifestyles. And what's interesting is those eight virtues that they lived by this Bushido code really is what most companies are trying to strive for in their own moral code as organizations. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think a lot of them struggle to find the words of what they're trying to get across. Like if you look at like a, a set of core values for a company you could probably map them over to these eight virtues quite easily. Um, which, by the way, I remember the one that I forgot to say was integrity. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 fascinating to me how concepts and principles that have been in practice for centuries are the things that people are still looking for right now. I mean, it's just fascinating to me how um, this information has been there. It's been passed on from generation to generation. Um, and I think if we stop and, and listen and look you know, backward into history and to learn from people that have gone before us, uh, you'll be surprised what you can learn. Well, I think that people are afraid that there is not going to be innovation. If we, I feel like this is looped back around, right? I think that we have, uh, what's the word that I'm struggling for here? We have come back to a point of critical self-reflection where Mm you're working within an organization that does not celebrate what you bring to the table, people will leave. Mm -hmm. In the last few years, it's gone from a four to seven year average of somebody's tenure with a company to four to seven months. Whoa. So people have become very averse to, I'm not wasting my time to try to get up the ladder. If I'm not appreciated for who I am and what I bring to the table, I'm going to find someone else who will. Sure. 
right? And samurai, where the cell originated, that was for life. You were born into the clan, you came up mm -hmm. through the ranks, there was a, a definitive moral code from the research that I've done. It was strictly practiced, but everybody had a talent. Some of them were really good at calligraphy. Some of them were really good at fighting. Some of them were really good at, you know, teaching. So everybody was given the roles within their plan to help people achieve mm -hmm. different things. Everybody what, was positioned at their best. Yeah. And, and what's it, you, you mentioned calligraphy um and and poetry and and what i think most people don't know about the samurai is that very few of them could not write and read very well they were very articulate and they were very they were very much connected to the calligraphy because their the teaching was such that calligraphy and, and if you ever study shodo which is the japanese term for calligraphy um if you ever study anything about shodo you realize that it's a very mindful practice and and it's a very intentional practice as well and it's very i mean i i've started learning calligraphy and and how to um you know create my own and you find in in that practice how calming it can really be. Um, and it's such a nice balance between um, when, you, when you think about the samurai, the thing that most people associate with them is, you know, the weapons and the warfare, as you mentioned. And what, what people don't see is that balancing side, the mindfulness and the, you know, the education you know, side of things. And so um, I found it really fascinating to, to learn that many of the samurai were very prolific calligraphers, so much so that some of those works are considered national treasures in Japan and are stored in like, you know, very secure locations. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And so you can't just go and like, you know, play around with it or whatever. But it's fascinating to me how there is such a balance between those two things. And I think that's part of where I feel Ikigai meets business too, right? Because it's, it is a very mindful type thing and looking in, inwardly for that intrinsic motivation of what gets you out of bed every morning to finding, you know, the more practical and outwardly facing things that you see around the work that we do. So I, I think, you know, there, there is a nice blending of the, of the two of those things. Um, so, yeah. It's interesting how we as a Western culture also still, even after the pandemic struggle with work-life balance that can be directly taken from Ikigai because as we've learned, there is, you spoke to the samurai, but as we've learned, there are various cultures, not just Eastern cultures, but various cultures that take specific time off for holiday. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very um, emblazoned in their culture that yes, work has its place, but when you shut down, 
you shut down, you go on holiday, you go back to nature, you go on excursions, they head to the water, they head to the mountains, they head to wherever, but they don't stay in place. They're active and it's usually tied to nature. And recently had a conversation with a CEO who is a client of mine of a small organization, mid-sized organization, about 5,000 employees. And he was saying to me, I'd like to adopt principles where we, of course, give holidays, you know, vacation time to people, but also take off company specific holidays where we get back to nature. And we get mm. back to being ourselves. I love that. I mm-hmm. love that. What are some other ways that you've you've been able to instill this type of purpose and clients and in your organization? What have you? Um, you know, it's it, nobody is in any kind of delusion that with people that know me that I don't. Anytime I'm not working, if I can be, I'm out in the mountains or I'm out you know, in a forest or, <laughs> or something. And, you know, I, I really encourage people as, as much as they can and as, as comfortable as it feels, because I, I recognize that going to nature doesn't feel comfortable for all, um, for all Americans, because some people have been uh, not equitably treated when it comes to, um experiencing the outdoors and so i highly encourage people to find a way that feels comfortable to them to be able to experience the outdoors maybe that simple as just going to a park that that's close to where you live and being able to just take a break from the screens i encourage people when you go to nature don't bring your screens with you leave them in your pocket or leave them in your car if it feels safe to do so or just leave them at home if, if, if it's not a very far way to go. You don't realize how much additional stress you're putting on yourself by being constantly attached to electronic devices. So th- there's a few simple practices that I explain to people that I've blogged about and, and written about that any of the listeners that go find me on my blog can search through and find some ideas around how to get closer to nature. My favorite one is the gentle gaze. And it it really does help get out of this tunnel vision that we get trapped in when we're staring at two dimensional screens all the time. We're trying to look at three dimensions in a flat kind of object, and it, it really messes with your depth perception. And so if you go out into a natural environment and allow your your focus to go from really close to really far away and to allow yourself to expand your peripheral vision, it has a nice calming effect on your brain because it allows it to relax. So that would be valuable for sure. Yeah. We're talking this month in closing out the year with the mindset of abundance Mm. and starting every year. We always hear that people are setting those good old new year's resolutions. I'm not a big fan Mm. of them because personally I find them to be, I find them to be less about behavior and more Mm. about breaking habit. And I don't know that that's always It took me years to build the habit. I don't think that it's going to take me this type of a resolution to break it. But Mm -hmm. I look at it as 
building life of abundance, you have to come at things by shifting mindset and shifting behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so in Eastern cultures, not just Japanese, but they use images and symbols. You mentioned that in the Japanese culture that signify traits. And these symbols are often depicted in the calligraphy they use. And you do something really cool called mm-hmm. pakizome where one symbol drives the intention for the year ahead. Can you talk to us about that? That might be a very cool concept that people might want to try. Yeah. So this is a concept that was introduced to me. So kakizome is, like you said, it's about setting intention for for our year. And it's typically the very first kanji symbol that you draw. So on January the 2nd, because January 1st is a holiday, you don't do anything in Japan. So January 2nd, you draw your first kanji of the year. And that kanji is, it's something that you put some thought behind and some intention behind because it's thought to set the tone, if you will, for for the year. So it's not about a New Year's resolution, getting us away from this idea of, you know, I'm trying to lose 10 pounds or I'm, you know trying to make a million dollars or whatever whatever your you know resolution happens to be which none of those things are bad in and of themselves but i think the way that we approach them perhaps could use some work for me this past year my kakizome was uh the kanji character for harmony which actually is on the front cover of my book and for me when i was thinking about what i wanted my intention to be about for the year it was really looking at how can I create more harmony in my life between the activities that I choose to do outside of work with the profession that I've chosen to do? And, and how can I look to bring more harmony to all of those things? In a way, that's how the book kind of came about because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and was telling them about all these different things and and how I had been studying the samurai for several years and said, well, you should write a book. And I laughed at him at first. And and then I, I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, actually, that's not a bad idea. Although <laughs> I never considered myself a writer until now, actually. And now I love it. It's actually one of the sources of Ikigai for me. It's something that I do every day and something that I, gives me a lot of joy. And it's something that I look forward to being able to do. Even if I hadn't published a book, writing had become just like a really great outlet for me to be able to capture this idea of harmony and be able to think about those things as like, what what are the things that are happening in my day that maybe didn't go the way that I wanted it to because I was doing something that pulled me away from that harmony. And so it's, it's a really great reminder and it's a really wonderful way to reflect throughout the whole year. And when I said it was it was something that I set intention. So I've literally every single day of this year I've written this kanji character in my journal. So if you go and look at my journal for the year, you'll see that kanji character show up on almost every single day that I was journaling. That or a variation of it uh, called Choa, which I write about in my book, which is more about a personalized kind of search for harmony. And so it's a little bit 
deeper of a conversation that we probably don't have time for right now. But you can read about it in the book if you want to learn about it. And so Kaki Dome, I think, is a it's a wonderful exercise that we can all do to provide some of that intention. And the idea is that when you are writing the kanji character, like you spend time doing it so that it it's something that you can hang on the wall, almost like a piece of art for the year. Think about New Year's resolutions. They just kind of keep it in their head or maybe they verbalize it to somebody, but they don't actually write it down. They don't provide some of that intention behind it. And there's something about a tactile experience of writing things or creating something with your with your own two hands that it just provides so much more meaning to you. There are some you know, scientific reasoning behind this from a psychological point of view, but I haven't done the research to know exactly what that is. But I said as a trainer, and you've been a trainer as well, I operate by three methodologies. You see one, you do one, and then you teach one. Yep. That's by and large what you're doing is you're reinforcing to your mind. What I love about Kaki Tome as as a alternative to New Year's resolutions, you hit the nail right on the head, is that you're doing it on a daily basis. It's deeply personal, but it's something that you're also doing for everyone else, too, to benefit. And it's something that each day you're striving to do better, whereas let's say you want to lose 10 pounds in a New Year's resolution by May. By May, if you haven't done it, you probably gained another 10 pounds, probably working out two, three times a week. It's not a daily obsession. And that is very healthy, but maybe the kakizome of it would be more health. Health would be your mm. would be your goal. If you just want to hang out at the beach and look good in a bathing suit, maybe it's about being one with nature or you know having some zen. But I like it that it takes it one step further than the esoteric to the spiritual sense of what you're trying to accomplish. So it becomes a behavior, like I said before, not just mm-hmm. overcoming a habit. I love that. Mm-hmm. It really does help sew things together. It made such a big difference for me in in how I interact in the world, because it's it's an opportunity to reflect. And, and as you were saying, it's not just about me, it's about others too, because I recognize that the way that I move through the world, it's not just about me, because the things that I do and the things that I say affect other people, and then start taking small steps to change it, which is really the the whole essence of Kaizen, right? It's It's small incremental change. It's not about this big, monstrous, transformational kind of change that the Western world tries to make it out to be. You know? By and large, why people at four to seven months are leaving again because they're mm-hmm. seeing, it's like Groundhog Day. Well, I expected to cannonball into this new career or this new job, looking for greener pastures, looking for that quick fix, looking for it to be abjectly different from what I had before there's a lot of similarity to what you're experiencing but you've disassociated logic (laughs) with with real true change change comes incrementally and it's continual it's not a one done I've heard that cliche, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence the reality is that might be true but you still have to mow it Mm. You can't get away from 
some of the things that are causing you the discomfort in the current situation you find yourself in because it's going to follow you, right? Because you are the common denominator that's happening throughout all of those things. Having a deeply reflective process, I think, is, is something that we should all look to integrate into our lives. It doesn't have to be this hour long every day kind of thing. It can be like a five or 10 minute conversation you have with yourself. I think that's a great, simple principle to encourage people in the coming year to do if they haven't this year is really stay true to one specific thing that you want to focus on that Mm -hmm. will help other aspects of your life fall into place. So thank you, Steve, for sharing this. Yeah. I really appreciate you being on 52 weeks, especially at this time of year when people are starting to say, I'm not where I thought I would be, but Mm -hmm. you've probably made an effort to do that. And it is about incremental change. It is about Mm -hmm. practice and trying new things. I hope we've encouraged people to, to try to welcome Ikigai into their life, what one simple thing can people do, Steve, to maybe start to to build towards a life where they embrace Ikigai? So Ken Moggy, who is a, I think he's referred to as a rock star neuroscientist in, in Japan. And he wrote a book called The Little Book of Ikigai. He talks about Ikigai as a spectrum of, of many different things that can bring joy into our life. And the idea is that the more joy you feel, the, the more life satisfaction that you're going to experience. Think about some of those little things that bring joy into your life and try to do more of those earlier in the day. So start your day by finding those little joys. For me personally, it's you know, having a cup of coffee and, and reading while it's still quiet and the, and the neighborhood isn't moving yet because I get up at five o'clock every day. It's being able to do my writing and, and that brings me joy because I'm allowed to express myself in a non-judgmental way. I just let the words flow. In my opinion, it's about the small things. You stack up enough small things and next thing you know, you have a lot of small things. And that's to me where you know, life satisfaction really can be realized. That's where the good habits push the bad ones out the door. I like Mm -hmm. that a lot. How can people reach you, Steve? So they can find me on my website, www.stevebeauchamp.com. They can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I also am posting articles pretty regularly on Medium. So if you want to follow me on Medium and and check out some of the articles I'm writing over there. You can find the link to my email on my website, or it's just steve at stevebushomp.com. This has been amazing. I really appreciate our conversation. It's been really fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That's all the time we have for you this week. Hopefully, we've given you some food for thought of adopting some new and more fulfilling principles for 2023 and for ending 2022 on a really great note. We'll be back again next week, same time, same place even more power.